This is Grace. She lives in Rwanda, where her life began as a nightmare. When Grace was one year old, she lost her entire family. Her mother, father, and nine brothers and sisters were all victims of the genocide. She lived on the street, and her only dream was food for the day. Then Grace met Zoe. Zoe helps orphans in Africa out of poverty. Zoe helped Grace to dream bigger. Zoe taught Grace to farm, gave her three bowls of beans and a plot of land. Look what Grace has done. From three bowls of beans, Grace harvested 30 bowls. Then rice, then bananas, chicken, pigs, and goats. And this summer, Grace got a cow. From homeless to homeowner, from orphan girl to adoptive mother. Now Grace is living her dream. Before we were a problem, but today we are like a dancer in our community. way. Yeah. What a powerful way to kick off week two of our Gobi Love series while we're looking at the gift of empowerment. Grace's story illustrates what empowerment is because of God's transforming work in her life. She is able to become the hero of the story, which is really what the, at the heart of empowerment. Um, we're excited to really dig into this concept a little bit more today. But I want us to understand, I want to frame the conversation a little bit. Grace and her, her story of being an orphan, she represents one of about 150 million orphans in our world today. Now, different countries define orphans differently, and so that means at least one parent has died, and, and, and often they find themselves in extreme poverty. But if you were to add in vulnerable children who are, who are vulnerable to exploitation and trafficking and find themselves in extreme poverty, that number exponentially increases. And so today, as a church, we're going to be wrestling with the words of God in Isaiah 117, where, where Isaiah is saying this on behalf of God to his people, and this is what he says. Learn to do good, seek justice, encourage the oppressed, defend the cause of orphans, and fight for the plight of widows. Man, that, that's a tall order, but it, there, that scripture is so clear about God's heart that we as his church would be about empowerment. 
and that we would get out of the way, really, in many cases, and, and just allow God to work in spaces in new and creative ways. And that is really um, part of what Zoe makes possible. One of the things I love about Grace's story that I have seen Zoe really facilitate is this shift. This shift from orphan to adoptive mother. From problem in a community to answer in a community. From isolated to part of a family, and from homeless to homeowner. Zoe is a key part of making this possible in a few countries around the world, and we're excited to be partnering with them as we look towards 2019. Gaston Warner, the CEO of Zoe, is with us today, and there's some helpful information in your note guide about Gaston and about the work of Zoe, and so you're going to want to check that out, and there's a space for you to take notes as well on the front, so I encourage you to follow along with that. I'm going to go ahead and invite Gaston to the platform, and Gaston's going to share his heart with us for orphans and vulnerable children. And then after he talks for a little bit, then I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna do interview style and ask Gaston some questions so that we can really comprehensively grasp what Zoe is doing and how we're gonna be a part of it. So I invite you to welcome Gaston Warner to the stage. I'm so grateful for that introduction, Beth, and what a joy to be able to worship with you all, and, and I'm so excited about the partnership we're having. This is one of the really good things about being a Christian, is you get to engage in these amazing ministries that God makes possible. So a little background about Zoe. Zoe, as, as, uh, as I've alluded to before, Zoe didn't start as a relief, as an empowerment ministry. Zoe actually started as a relief ministry. Just as a Christian response to this humanitarian crisis of millions of orphans living and dying in extreme poverty in Africa. And it bounced around quite happily for a couple years. And then in, in late 2006, early 2007, Zoe had this a little overage of funding. And they wanted to invest it to really do good. So they put out word that they were looking for something truly effective working with orphans and vulnerable children. And they were introduced to this Rwandan social worker named Epiphany Mujuamana. Now, Epiphany had grown up as a vulnerable child. She had survived the genocide in her country of Rwanda, and on the other side of that genocide, she wanted to help the millions of orphans in her country. So she went to work with the resources were for some large Western aid organizations. You'd recognize the names. And she worked for each for several years and became disillusioned with the work. And this is what she said. She said, I'd watch as these generous people would come to my country. And they would give things to my people that my people desperately needed. And then I watched as my people became so good at receiving that they forgot how to do anything. And when the grant dried up or the focus shifted, as it always eventually did, these children in whom I had poured my life were worse off than before because now they were dependent on this outside aid that was then gone. So Epiphany, frustrated by that cycle of relief and dependency, along with several other Rwandan social workers frustrated by the same cycle, working directly with the children and the communities in their country, developed this three-year community-based empowerment program. And the angle they came at this from is that these children have God-given skills and abilities. There's things that they can do. And what they need is some on-ramps to get from where they are to where, they, where God wants them to be. And so this, this three-year program, it is different than anything I would have designed. 
It is roughly one staff per thousand orphans. Because the whole focus of the program is that these young people must take the lead in their own journey out of poverty. So Epiphany and her team, their whole stance was based around not doing anything for the orphans, which the orphans could otherwise do for themselves. And what they found out was that they can do quite a lot for themselves. So the structure of it, just real quickly, it's based around empowerment groups. And this church is going to be partnering with an empowerment group that will start in Kenya in January. And that empowerment group will have about 60 to 100 total children. And inside that 60 to 100 number, there's 20 to 30 child-headed households. So if you have a 15-year-old girl with a 12-year-old brother and an 8-year-old sister, that would be a child-headed household. And the 15-year-old would be the de facto parent. So there's about 20 to 30 of those family units per group. The age range is uh, the youngest siblings might be infants on up to about college age uh, for the group. So the group will elect leadership. They'll nominate a volunteer adult mentor. And then they'll start to meet every week and begin to assist one another in this journey out of poverty. And Zoe's piece of this, and you all are, are with us in that, heritage piece and Zoe's piece, is to stand behind these young people with access to the small trainings and resources they need to get what they need. And Epiphany and her team found there were about eight different areas that held these children in poverty. And that for real change to occur, there needed to be some interventions in all eight of those areas in ways that the children could then do those things for themselves. So they need to become food secure, have safe, secure housing, have access to health care and hygiene so they're not getting sick all the time. They need to know what their rights are and how to enforce them so they're not being abused and neglected. They need to have access to start businesses so they can have diversified businesses where they can buy their own food and make a way in, in, in life. They need to have access to what I call the squishy things, things like hope, feeling like they're a human being, like they can make eye contact with other villagers in their community and they're not second-class citizens. And then in addition to all these other things, uh, including education or vocational training if education is no longer possible. They also need to be spiritually whole. So many of our children feel like because of their suffering that maybe God doesn't exist or if God does exist that maybe God hates them. And so our staff share with them the love of God in both words and in actions so that throughout the course of the three years, they understand that they're not beyond the love of God in Christ in ways that are always inviting and never coercive in a very gentle but powerful way. And that's the three-year program that Epiphany set up. It comes at empowerment in such a radically different way. Uh, Zoe's US staff, we would have never designed it. But the effect of it is that after three years, these children move from life-threatening poverty to sustainable self-sufficiency with a rate of about 85% success. And it's amazing to watch what God is doing in their lives. But let me just briefly tell you a story of, of one of the orphans that kind of illustrates the program. Uh, one of the first orphans I met in Rwanda, Claudine. Claudine's father died first, followed a couple months later by her mother. Both died from HIV AIDS related illnesses, though she would never say that because of the stigma of the disease. During their illness, the mud hut in which they all lived had collapsed from disrepair. So at the age of five years old, Claudine found herself both orphaned and homeless. And she had a three-year-old sister and a six-month-old baby to care for. At that point, someone in our group said, Claudine, how did you survive? 
She said, life was very difficult. I'd wake up in the morning and I would strap the baby onto my back and I'd leave my middle sister wherever we had slept the night before, usually by the side of the road covered in banana leaves. And I would go into the village to beg for food. For 10 years, she did that. As she grew older, instead of begging for food, she would beg for work, but too many nights they would sleep hungry. At one point she shared with us, she thought they would all die. And so she sent her middle sister off to work in a larger community as a house girl. Uh, which carries its own dangers, but she thought at least she might survive. At the age of 15 years old, so a decade later, a friend told her about this orphan program called Zoe coming to the village. And so Claudine got all excited and she went to the first meeting and she was a little disappointed that it wasn't a giveaway program because that's what she was expecting. But instead, she heard testimonials from orphans in their second and third year of the program. She heard the staff talk about hope and God's love and the possibility that life could be better tomorrow than it is today. And then they had all the orphans who were there begin to share their own stories. And it was one of the first time Claudine said she felt like she was among people that understood her suffering. So she decided to give the program a try and she took to it immediately. She learned about health and hygiene and her rights. She formed friendships with the other children and the other young people in her group. She started a business selling used clothing with several other girls in her group and then started another business making this sorghum drink. You get a hollow log and put sorghum in it and water and stir it for about two weeks. Um, I've sampled it. I think it must be an acquired taste but it sells well in the market. And so she had these businesses going, but she set her sights even higher. She apprenticed for six months as a tailor and then started a successful seamstress build, uh, business. She was doing so well that she even began helping other children in her group who were struggling more with their businesses and helping kind of mentor them along as they were trying to do their, make their own living. Zoe was able to help her find and reunite with her middle sister. And Claudine began speaking in churches about the power of God's love to redeem a life even as broken as hers. But then several months later, her group became concerned about Claudine because she seemed to be regressing. She was tired more often and she seemed to be hungry. And so they alerted the Zoe program facilitator who went and visited Claudine in her home and immediately spotted the problem. Claudine had adopted six additional orphans. The, the, the Zoe staff said, Claudine, why have you done this? It's too much for you. You were just getting your own life back together. And Claudine said, I, I know, I didn't mean to do it. It was an accident. She said, I saw these young people and they were wandering the streets and their mother had died four months before and I remembered what it was like to be where they are. And I thought to myself, how can I speak in churches about God's love and turn my back on these others? So I invited them to my home just to give them a meal, just to tell them that I love them. And after we had eaten and talked, they wouldn't leave. And so I asked if they wanted to live with me and they said they did. So she was tending sick children through the night and then in the day she would do her, her work and sleep in between jobs. And, and the Zoe program facilitator told her group what she had done and her group actually helped build a larger house for Claudine so she could house these new, uh, new members of her family. And when I returned three months later, the children that she had adopted their minds and their bodies were beginning to become well and, and, and cleared out. They were starting to re-enroll in school and start businesses of their own. And you could once again see that upward trajectory for the family. This is the ministry and these are the children with whom you are joining your life. 
from across an ocean, half a world away, you're standing behind young people who have all the promise God has given them. And you are not just helping them, but you're empowering them to stand on their own feet so they can in turn reach out and help other families. And such is the leaven in the loaf of the kingdom of God. So I want to thank you for being that kind of church. And now I think we're going to have a, a little time for, for, for question and answer. Uh, but thank you for, for the journey that you're starting in January with these orphans. Thanks, Gaston. Yeah, let's thank him. So I love Claudine's story because it really just illustrates the whole wheel, all of those eight boxes that Zoe um, really ticks. Um, but I want us to kind of back out a little bit. And can you give us an idea of the width and breadth of Zoe, the countries that you're in, the number of children that you're connected with, maybe your staff numbers? So when, we, when Zoe first started as a relief ministry, we were fairly small and just in Zimbabwe. When we started to move from relief to this empowerment program, God began to bless it in ways that are, have continued to astound us. Uh, this year in 2018, over the course of the year, we'll have had over 45,000 children enrolled in the program. And we're in six countries, so five countries in Africa and India, with about 65 staff worldwide, okay. uh, only nine of which are in the U.S. Right. So the majority of them are in the countries, and all the people working directly with the children are from the countries where they're working, mm -hmm. which is a big piece for Zoe. Yeah, which is different than how many other organizations are structured. So um, as much as you value empowering the children in these countries, I think maybe even more so you value empowering the adults in these countries to be part of the solution to this problem of orphans and vulnerable children. So um, can you talk about how you guard that value and, and how you empower the staff in, in those countries? Absolutely. And that is a, that is a big piece for Zoe in particular. Uh, it started off, I think, out of laziness because we were doing all these relief programs and we had this weird empowerment program and Epiphany was running that and doing it so well we didn't really have time to interfere. Um, and then we realized how much better what she was doing, anything she was doing was so much better than everything we were doing. We decided, well, we should probably protect that. Mm -hmm. So what we've done now is there's iterative changes to the model every year. Mm -hmm. None of those come from the U.S. side. The U.S. doesn't do any trainings. We don't share any ideas on how to improve the program. We do a lot of monitoring, financial monitoring, report monitoring, but the program is owned by the program staff and frankly, the young people in the program themselves. And it, that's, it's just a pragmatic decision. It seems uh, to be the thing that makes the program work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's some secret sauce in that that you don't, <laughs> you don't want to get in the way yeah. of in that for sure. But then that also has to be protected mm -hmm. um, because, because even Zoe was founded as a relief organization in its DNA right. is that possibility to drift back into that. Right. So, um, how else do you guard that, that divide sort of and clearly stay on the empowerment side of things? So uh, for us, uh, empowerment is so uh, integral to the, to, to the whole program. And one of the pieces that is most important is that the young people really do take the lead in their own journey. So uh, for example, the young people in the program, you'll have an empowerment group. Y'all's empowerment group will know what their budget is and they'll have a hand in making every decision in the program. And so the, the, the biggest piece is that the children themselves are empowered and if we tried to take that away from them, they would fight us. Mm 
because they're, they have a voice now. Uh, so if we're buying 12 goats for the group, because goats make this incredible stuff that makes things grow and they, you can sell them for income and they, do, they have all these wonderful benefits. If we're buying 12 goats for the program, we don't buy 12 goats and give it to the young people. We talk to their treasurer, we put that amount in the account, we tell the group this is for 12 goats and they'll haggle for two months with over those 12 goats and they'll make them 20 goats. And so they learn, they learn how to do those pieces. So it, at the very, uh, from, from, from the bottom up and from the top down, empowerment is just woven into it now. So can you help us understand? Um, so we're gonna come alongside a group, an empowerment group in Kenya in January, 2019. What should we expect? What will be happening for those kids in, in that first year? How are the children identified maybe would be a helpful Right, no, absolutely. You should expect to see a miracle of God in these young people's lives. So what happens is uh, before we even talk to the orphans, the staff are talking to the uh, people in the villages. And in Kenya, we've been there for a while, so we have a line of village chiefs asking us to come into their village. Because the children are a real problem. They might be beggars. Uh, they might steal food in order to survive. And so to move them from, from being a problem, as the video stated, to, to these entrepreneurs and employers is a huge deal locally. So we'll get local support from the formal and informal uh, government structures, from the pastors, from the other leaders in the community. And then we'll invite the children to come to a meeting. And there's a lot of initial kind of sorting out that we're an empowerment program and what that means. Mm -hmm. And we have a lot of testimonials from other groups that are further along in the program. And often other groups will mentor the new groups that are coming in. So there's, there's, there's a lot of mentorship from the, from the young people, even the graduates in the program, mentoring ones that are coming in. Um, and once, once they're there, we immediately begin helping them to vision what the future could be. We have a dream chart that we do where they kind of draw out what they've suffered and what they hope for in the future. And then we start the trainings as immediately as we can so they can, they can start working, get, getting businesses, knowing what their rights are, getting safe housing, all those pieces. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the dream sheets, that's just a powerful thing. Um, when I went to Rwanda, um, this is one of the first things that the kids do. They really are talking about this is what my life was like. They're, they're drawing often what their greatest sorrow is. Mm. And, then they're, and then they're asked to sort of imagine a better future, a different future. And um, it was so powerful in so many of the places that we went, the businesses and that, that, that the children were running. The dream sheet is on the wall. It, it's a reminder to them of what their life was and what they're working towards. And it's just... It's just absolutely precious. I just love that you do that because you're capturing the rawness and the purity of the moment um, of really desperation, of no hope, and then, and then them starting to imagine what hope could look like. And I know for some of the children, they've already surpassed what they could even imagine, what even the hopeful future might have looked like. And um, the joy in that from them is just, yeah just so precious. It's so much fun. And they update it every year. Yeah. As they check off what they've accomplished, they, they set higher goals. That's right. So the dream sheet is something that they're refreshing yep. kind of as they go along. Um, so one of the questions that I know that I had going to Rwanda and that I've heard um, from people that were on the trip with me or people here, um, what is it, where's the space where the gospel is shared? What does that space look like um, within a group or right. for Zoe as they interact in a country? So it, it's, it's really 
powerful. The evangelical model of Zoe is, 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 is like every other part of the program led by the young people themselves. Almost all of our children, except maybe in India where Christianity is uh, less prevalent, uh, but almost all of our children have been abused or neglected by a Christian in their village. So they've heard a lot about Jesus, but they haven't always seen a lot of that because of the abuse and the trauma they've suffered. So when the staff come in a way that's always inviting but never coercive. So if a Muslim child joins the group and they graduate as a Muslim, we don't see that as a failure because conversion comes from God. But they will have seen and heard the very best of the gospel over the, year, over the three years in the program. There's usually a chaplain position that's an officer position in the group. So they do a lot of worship. Uh, they, the adult mentors are Christian. The staff are Christian. And there's a lot of informal questions about why have you reached out to me? Why have you done this? And then it's an opportunity for our staff and our volunteers to share their faith with the children. Yeah, it really is. Um, at, at churches, we talked last week about that incarnational ministry, the Jesus with skin on moments, mm. when when you experience the, the kingdom of heaven happening here on earth, that in itself is a witness. But even the children, I think, are probably uh, some of the best disciple makers as they um, pray for each other, as they yeah. um, share a scripture verse of encouragement. Many of the places that we went, the kids, you know, they would tell us the things that they were doing, but then they would say, and we want to pray for you, yeah. and we want to bless you, which is very humbling um, in that space, that children who have so little out of their, uh, I like the... Um, kind of concept you were talking about, accidental generosity, that Claudine yes. ended up adopting the kids and she wasn't even quite sure how it happened. What if we as Christ followers just lived in that posture of accidental generosity out of the overflow of what God has done for us? We just can't help it. We're like, gosh, I don't know how that happened, how that generous thing happened. Um, we have so much to learn. Yeah. Um, from these kids. Because God doesn't just leave us as converts. God makes us disciples and then send us forward to spread the kingdom in the world. And we're doing the same thing with these children. We're not, we don't want them just to say that they believe in God. We want them to have that deep experience of knowing God's love and then sharing it with others. And it's, it's incredible how they do it. Yeah. The resilience of these kids is astounding to me. So, um, so year one, you know, you've kind of painted the picture. There's a really steep learning curve. Right. You're addressing all of those critical eight components on the Zoe wheel. Um, and then what kind of happens in year two and three as they're starting to work towards graduation? So, so, I mean, as you mentioned, in year one, these young people are really starting from almost nothing and, and kind of rebuilding even the hope of possibility. Uh, but then fairly quickly they start businesses and they see success. And some of the businesses fail, but they learn from both successes and failures. Uh, they, they learn about their rights. They learn about health and hygiene. And life improves dramatically in the first year. In the second and third year, uh, there's some families that have suffered additional trauma. And usually what will happen is a family that's stronger or a child like Claudine will come alongside some of the ones that, that are a little more um, shell-shocked from their previous experiences and begin to lift each other up. And then in year three, it's a stabilizing of that empowerment. They're able to send their siblings to school and provide all their fees. They can feed their families. They can usually save enough to buy a rent, a safe, secure housing. All those pieces are now in place so that when Zoe actually departs from the group, nothing changes for the group. The group stay together. They continue meeting weekly. They continue supporting each other. 
and they no longer need Zoe. So it's not a sad thing. They're not sad to be leaving the program. They're excited that that frees up time for Zoe to then to reach out to other children Mm -hmm. uh, because they're fine. And it's just, it's so encouraging to see that kind of launching in the lives of these children. So, so your goal really is to come alongside these kids for three years, but, but there can't be dependency that's created in that because you really need to exit that space after three years so that you can go on to another yep. group of children. And we're starting to exit that space before we even start because three years is such a short period of time. So uh, the invitation to the first meeting doesn't come from Zoe. It comes from the village chief. Everything that's in the program is trying to reconnect them to their own community. So even the trainings that happen, the child rights training will find the person locally who's in charge of enforcing those rights to do the training. The how to grow food will be a local farmer who'll do that training. And then the staff will kind of augment around the edges. So every single step along the way, and the, and the young people know it's a three-year program from, the, from day one. There's, there's complete transparency with the young people about what the program is and is not. So by year three, they're ready uh, and excited mm-hmm. about standing on their own with dignity and love and possibility and hope for the future. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, the groups do stay together just out of their relational bond, and, and many of them continue in their financial commitments to yep. each other and micro-loan lending to each other. Oh, they do crazy things with money. They actually form little banks in their own groups that they right. lend to their own group members and sometimes will lend outside their group if the village chief stands behind the outsider's loan. Mm-hmm. Um, they get pretty sophisticated Yeah, pretty I mean, fast. they even earn interest on those. They, I think yep. they're making money from the village. That's right. that, yep. Yeah, it's if, a crazy idea. If you ever want a course in capitalism, we've got 45,000 <laughs> children that can help you out. <laughs> That's great. Gaston, as you look at Zoe, um, well, before we get to that question, I, here's a good question for us as a church. What would make Heritage Church a great partner with Zoe? What, what, what's a good, you know, just what would you tell us about that? So, so we have churches that, that, that just send a check over, and we'll take the checks. It's fine. but We're not going to be that or do that, Heritage. <laughs> That's not an option. <laughs> but the churches that tend to be open to allowing these children to teach them something about their own faith is where the real power comes in. Because these children are financially poor, and, 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 and they need some step-ups there. But they're rich in community. They're rich in knowing how to follow God in the wilderness. They're rich in an extravagant generosity that comes not from an overabundance of wealth, but just from a place that's more than they thought they would ever be at. Um, and their ability to forgive atrocities committed against them, both for themselves and for the perpetrators, is, is an astounding thing. So when people, when, when representatives go over and actually meet the children, and we have a, uh, lots of opportunities for Heritage to go over and actually see these children, look them in their eyes and tell them that you're proud of them, mm-hmm. um, and then come back and share those stories with the church, that's when it really becomes something that God is in mm-hmm. uh, and begins to change all sides. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Gaston, as you look at Zoe over the next three to five years, what are you most excited about and what are you looking forward to? So from, from my own journey, I, I've, I've worked with nonprofits for about 27 years, and I had never seen anything with the results-oriented uh, approach that Zoe has. And I'm interested in growing Zoe, and, and we're, we're doing that. God's been blessing us. We grew about 25% in terms of more children in the program in 2018. 
But we also have taken a decision as an organization to, to give that program away to others if they would like it. I mean, there's some large organizations that if they adopted this approach in situations of long-term poverty, not emergency situations, but long-term poverty, I, I, I think God could do something amazing. Um, so so we're, we're interested in growing our own program, but also sharing that with others that can take it further than we could. Yeah, which, which really is that generosity that Zoe exhibits at every single level. And that's something that we as a church can pray for Zoe about as you strategically interact in those arenas, because the work that you're doing and the way that you're doing it, it is distinctive. It is really different from what is happening uh, especially around the issue of orphans and vulnerable children yep. in the world today. Thank you so much for well, being you. with us and interacting with us. Heritage, can you thank Gaston yeah. for being with us? So are we excited or what? I'm ex Yeah, okay, I'm excited about this. Um, this is going to be great. Um, Heritage, we are going to have wonderful opportunity to partner at different levels with um, our kids and our empowerment group, but also with Zoe, even strategically as we look at how to leverage Zoe and this model around the world. Um, so in January, our group, our kids will be identified. They'll come together. Um, sometime in the spring, early spring, we'll get a list of our kids by name. And one of the things that we're going to ask all you know, people in our church to do is to adopt a child to pray for and connect with, to be their prayer partner, their prayer buddy for three years. And so that could be your family, could just connect with a child um, and, and adopt them in prayer. Um, it could be, you could do a one-to-one. -one. Um, I have, I don't care if a child has 10 people praying for them, the more the merrier. Um, but we also don't wanna just do that with our kids and our empowerment group, but we also wanna do that for the Zoe staff in Kenya. Because just like our encouragement and our prayer commitment to teachers who are standing in the gap for our kids locally, these, these workers in Kenya, one worker for a thousand orphans. And I mean, I've witnessed that ratio and what they're doing in Rwanda. And these people are incredibly giving and generous and standing in the gap every single day in some really, really tough spaces. And so we want to cover them in prayer as well. So in the early spring, we're going to be asking for you to say, hey, yep, I want, I'll pray for so-and-so, and we'll make that available to you. I want to ask you right now to pull out your Go Be Love commitment card. Because this is a way that you can interact with us about how you're wanting to intersect with the gift of presence, the gift of empowerment, and the gift of love as we head into Christmas and into 2019. These are in the seat backs in front of you. And we're asking that you would just continue to pray about how God might want you to connect in these spaces. Um, but one of them is going to be prayer. And so in the gift of love, if you mark prayer, we're going to follow up with you when our Zoe kids, when we have that prayer ask. If you mark prayer, we want to be communicating at least monthly how you can be praying for our missional investments here um, and also around the world. Um, I've had already just from Saturday night, um, but I know that many of you are going to want to ask, so are we going to get to see our group in Kenya and when is that? And so yes, we are going to be sending a trip in September. It's only five people. Um, and so we're prayerfully just asking the Lord about how we engage with that. But that won't be the last opportunity we have to interact with Zoe. That's just the first opportunity. And there's going to be many more opportunities after that. So if you've got your heart set on it, 
there's only five uh, for that opportunity, but there's more to come. Um, I'm just... I'm just so excited, really, about what God's going to do in and through this connection. Um, I want to talk a little bit about some of our engagements that we have going on right now. And so I want to talk about the giving trees. Way to go, Heritage. You knocked it out of the park. All the tags are off the Lincoln Irving tree. And so we just have some tags. Yeah, good job. I mean, those went like that. Um, we still have some tags available at both our campuses for our Thurgood Marshall um, holiday meal and the, and the gift boxes that we're going to send home with families. And so if you want to grab one of those, we invite you to do that. And then we, we also have tags left on our Kiwani tree. And many of those tags are gift cards. And so I want to talk about that because anything, any tags that you saw on the trees, these are generated from our partners. So we're just putting up there the things that they said they needed or wanted. And so I know it is not as much fun to shop for a gift card as it is to shop for a Barbie doll or athletic equipment or some sort of a toy or thing that you can bring back. Um, but this is why the gift cards are so important. Many of these dads are trying to reconnect with their kids. And they honestly don't know what their kids want. They don't even know what their kids need. And so the gift card is for a way for them to connect with their child, to say, I see you, I want to give you a gift, and, and to even have a conversation about what they buy with that gift card so the dad starts to understand what their child likes and what their child needs. And so that's why we have so many gift card requests out there because it's just a good next um, engagement for the dads. It's a safe way for them to do that. And so that's why that is. Now, if you got one of the tags to buy a gift that would need to be wrapped, please do not wrap the gift. Bring it back unwrapped because we're going to take all the gifts to Kiwani and the dads are actually going to get to wrap the gifts for their children, write a Christmas card with the gift. Their child will either get to come and receive the gift from them or we're going to help them mail that gift out to their child. And so that's all part of the dads getting to be the heroes of the story. So please do not wrap those gifts. Um, I want to let you know, too, about some other uh, opportunity that we have coming up. It's listed in the gift of empowerment in the middle of your commitment card, um, but I want to put it on your radar because it's a new uh, partnership that we're engaging with. Um, you know, over the last year, we gave money to a few different organizations as they responded to disaster relief. And that's great, and we want to do that. We've given to Preemptive Love when they engaged with the, the chemical warfare, you know, on refugees. And we've given to World Hope International in the wake of the hurricane disasters in our own country. And so we want to be able to do that. And we do that out of our faith promise missional giving that you all participate in. But we thought, man, wouldn't it be great to give to an organization that's already positioned immediately to respond to disaster relief? And so uh, Convoy of Hope is an organization that shows up in disaster zones um, with, with food, basically. And so we're partnering with, with Meals from the Heartland. Um, and they're going to come in and we are going to pack 50,000 meals on December 1st. And these meals will be packaged up. They'll be sent um, internationally. Um, Convoy of Hope does a great job of getting those meals out into areas of great need. And so um, they've even done that in the United States, but primarily they responded in Haiti after the earthquake and in the refugee crisis and in tsunamis and other things. And so our HSM youth are taking the lead in this event, and so they're helping to organize us. But I want to let you know that we need 300 people 
to work a one-hour shift on December 1st. And if you want more information about that, you can check the commitment card. You can also go online to heritageqc.com and, and just check the box and, and check out what spots are available. This is a great opportunity to serve as a family, as a small group, for your coworkers to get together and just serve at a table uh, for one hour and pack meals for people who are desperately in need of them. So just keep that on your radar. We're excited about that. And I'm really excited that our youth are just jazzed up about this and wanting to take the lead in it. So let's support them and their leadership of that event. Um, you know, we've had a great two weeks of this Go Be Love journey. We're looking forward to next week as we dig into being the gift of love. Um, I just want to encourage you, don't miss that. Um, stay connected to this. Continue to pray about how God might want you uh, to interact in, the, in, this, in this journey. Um, God has um, really blessed us, I think, as we've been faithful in our 24-7, 365 uh, here in the Quad Cities. He just is continuing to open up the doors for us to be a part of this amazing journey. Um, and so I'm excited about it. Let me pray for us and pray for Zoe and for Gaston um, as we transition back into worship. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are good. You are El Roy, the God who sees, and you see us, and you see, um, you see orphans and vulnerable children around the world, children who are suffering, who feel abandoned, who feel like you aren't good and that you don't see them. And Father, I am just so grateful for the work of Zoe that is showing up in these tough, hard spaces. And I pray that you would bless Gaston um, and his leadership and his vision um, that you would uh, just continue to, to give strength to the Zoe staff around the world who, who labor in just tough stuff and carry huge burdens. Would you encourage their hearts even now, Father? Um, Father, would you give us as a church a posture of learning, a posture of leaning in to these tough spaces, of, of being willing to stand in these gaps and... Um, and not have all the answers, but be willing to wrestle uh, with you um, and to wrestle just in these tough issues. Um, Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to partner with Zoe. And we pray that you would bless our partnership um, just in amazing ways, like more than we could even ask or imagine. Um, Father, as we as a church just continue to have a posture of learning to do good, of seeking justice, of encouraging the oppressed, defending the orphan and pleading the cause of the widow. Would you equip us? Would you embolden us? Would you help us to be an empowering agent of grace and peace and mercy and hope and love here in the Quad Cities, but also around the world? May your kingdom come. May your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. We bless you. We love you. We say thank you. And we pray this in the strong and mighty name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.